Hey everyone, it's Dr. Reeves welcoming you to week six of EDEM 6629, Children's Literature and Integrated Arts. Last week we looked at lesson planning, got into some amazing sequential artwork for the graphic novel portion of the course, and I'm still just so impressed with the just enthusiasm and creativity and thoughtfulness that you all are putting into um, your engagements for the course. Um, so this week we're going to work with poetry and excerpts from Nikki Giovanni's edited text, Hip Hop Speaks to Children. And particularly we're going to think about the value of imitation and the development of writing and expressive arts. And this comes back again and again to teaching explicit phonological awareness lessons to young learners. We have an incredibly high number of young people in Georgia who cannot read, yet research has shown us that the vast majority of kids can learn to read regardless of their background and abilities when they start. Research has also shown us that schools over rely on ineffective reading interventions often dictated by purchased packaged programming, which is one of the reasons that despite all of the time devoted to reading instruction, we do not see the vast improvements that are possible when explicit and systematic instruction are a daily part of the learning experience. Particularly alarming is that research has also shown that first graders who do not receive explicit and systematic reading instruction combined with exposure to rich listening to literature experiences almost never acquire average level reading skills by the end of elementary school. I'm going to give an excerpt here from the Reading Source Book 3rd Edition because they offer short, well-defined examples of four areas of effective reading instruction that I want to draw your attention to this week. Phonological awareness, phonics, irregular word reading, and multisyllabic word reading. I also just recommend everyone getting a copy of the book and it's pictured in the resource library this week because it's incredibly user-friendly and provides valuable practical examples of how to implement evidence-based reading instruction, which all of you are going to see more and more of coming into the schools in the coming years and as the new reading standards roll out. All right, so let's get started. So a few decades ago, Congress charged the National Reading Panel to offer some greater guidance on reading instruction by reviewing the current reading research. The panel identified five essential components of effective reading instruction, which included phonological awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary or word knowledge, and comprehension. And then structured literacy advocates have expanded this further to also include print awareness, letter knowledge, irregular words, and multisyllabic word reading. Of those, I want to draw your attention to phonological awareness, phonics, irregular word reading, and multisyllabic word reading. So phonological awareness. Phonological awareness is an umbrella term that includes the awareness of larger parts of spoken language, such as words, syllables, onsets, and rhymes, that's rhymes, R-I-M-E-S, as well as the smaller parts like phonemes. A phoneme is the smallest unit of sound in a word, and each phoneme can make a difference in the word's meaning. For example, the phonemes s represented by s and f represented by f or ph are different. The meaning of the word sat s is different from the meaning of the word fat. 
The National Reading Panel believed that phonemic awareness instruction is most effective when students are taught to use letters as they manipulate phonemes. So singing the alphabet song and memorizing it is fun, but it does not necessarily help young people understand the purpose of letters or that they have corresponding sounds that can be combined to make words. Phonics. Phonics is a method of instruction that teaches students the systematic relationships between the letters and letter combinations, graphemes, and written language, and the individual sounds, phonemes, and spoke, spoken language, and how to use these relationships to read and spell words. Phonics instruction, which is intended for beginning readers in the primary grades and for older students who are struggling to read, can help students learn how to convert a printed word into its spoken form. This process, called decoding, involves looking at a word and connecting the letters and sounds and then blending those sounds together. Phonics instruction also helps students to understand the alphabetic principle. Written letters represent spoken sounds. In other words, letters and sounds work together in systematic ways to allow spoken language to be written down and written language to be read. Decoding is not equal to sounded out. Decoding requires particular conditions that should be intentionally selected and modeled by teachers as they guide students in practice. Irregular word reading. Not all words are regular or can be read by sounding them out. An irregular word contains one or more sound spelling correspondences that a student does not know and therefore cannot use to decode the word. Within the reading program, there are basically two types of irregular words. Words that are permanently irregular and words that are temporarily irregular. Some of the most common words in English are irregular, and we sometimes see these called high-frequency words like dolch words, red words, or heart words, and they appear often in printed text and therefore are crucial to comprehension. And then one more, multisyllabic word reading. While phonics instruction gives students the basic tools to decode most single-syllable words, explicit instruction recognizing syllables and morphemes gives students additional strategies for reading longer, multisyllabic words. To read words and text fluently and accurately, the brain's orthographic processor must learn to see common letter patterns and recurring word parts. In multisyllabic words, these multi-letter patterns or chunks may be syllables, affixes, or phonograms. Neurological research or brain science has shown in brain imaging that good readers, for example, activate the occipito-temporal area of the brain where all relevant incoming information about a word, how it looks, how it sounds, and what it means, are tightly bound together and stored. After encountering Encountering the word multiple times, remember that little phrase, multiple meaningful exposures, the brain forms a neural model of that specific word and it is permanently stored in the occipitotemporal area and can automatically be pulled up as information about that word when it is encountered. Developing readers, on the other hand, are not able to effectively utilize the occipitotemporal region of the brain under using those same sophisticated word recognition functions. 
The good news, though, is that neurological research has also shown that using evidence-based reading instruction and phonemic awareness and phonics can change brain activity in struggling readers and assist in the activation and use of those areas in the back of the brain or the occipitotemporal area that are needed for good reading. All right, so that's really just a very brief overview of these huge concepts. It's likely you've heard about these in reading methods and reading assessment or will hear about them if you haven't taken those yet, but it's always valuable to learn more just because of the changes that we're seeing that are coming into the Georgia Reading Standards and also because we know uh, through evidence that there are young readers who truly cannot learn to read until these practices become part of their learning experiences. Probably out of all of the books and materials I've recommended this session, the reading source book may be the most valuable one for anyone who is struggling with these concepts or who needs some suggested strategies that can actually improve students' reading abilities. So one of the reasons that I want to think with you all about these aspects of evidence-based reading instruction is because I think there's an opportunity to build useful bridges between phonics and multisyllabic word reading and the study of poetry, spoken word poetry, and rap. Research has shown us that by the time young people get to fourth and fifth grade, the introduction of new content-specific words increases substantially with fewer images and context clues that help students essentially guess a word's meaning. As students who may have been getting by readers through third grade encounter these new words, we can sometimes observe a deficit in their ability to get, decode multi-syllable words, and therefore they cannot comprehend those more advanced texts. And despite observing this deficit, we see less and less phonics instruction beyond the early grades, even though the phonics approach is what unlocks multisyllabic word reading for older elementary students, or even middle and high school students who are still developing readers. Strong readers can identify words by breaking down the syllables. Developing readers sometimes focus on just the letter sounds in the word rather than the syllables. When students are decoding single syllable words, pronouncing the sound spelling correspondence that are common, especially vowel teams, identifying open and closed syllables, and pronouncing affixes in isolation, they are likely ready to move on to multi-syllable words. And that progression should be done systematically, so starting with um, one-syllable words, moving on to two-syllable words, and then finally going into three and more syllable words. Typically, by the end of grade one, we want to see that young people are reading single-syllable words and some two-syllable words. By the end of grade two, students have moved on to mostly two-syllable words and some three-syllable words, and then by the end of grade three, we start seeing many more multisyllabic words, um, especially in science and social studies and the required materials that students are, are using. All elementary classrooms right up through fifth grade should be rich with opportunities for students to interact with material that reinforces and extends their abilities to identify syllables. We started looking at this type of instruction integrated into explicit vocabulary teaching with Dr. Archer. A number of programs, including Orton-Gillingham, link syllable division patterns to animals as a fun way to help students and the rest of us remember the patterns and divisions. 
For example, they identify bulldog words, lion words, tiger words, camel words, rabbit words, ostrich words, and so on. A tiger word is an open syllable, T-I, followed by a closed syllable, G-E-R. These syllable rules allow students to rely less on context clues and guessing and more on predictable word part knowledge. If they can correctly pronounce the word's parts, like knowing that the open syllable is going to make a long vowel sound, then they often discover the word they are trying to decode is a word that's already part of their listening vocabulary. Later, robot, begin, report, etc. One of my favorite ways to magnify the value of knowing and having syllable division knowledge is to pull up the Beastie Boys timeless classics, Sabotage and Intergalactic. Both songs, um, and if you're not aware of those songs, be sure to use kid-friendly versions if you want to teach with them, emphasize the centrality of multisyllabic words and enunciation in creating the perfect memorable lyrics. As you turn on your syllable division knowledge, however, you'll see here and notice more and more of these gifted rhymers from Eminem to Lin-Manuel Miranda to Queen Latifah to Taylor Swift demonstrating advanced word syllable division knowledge and their inventive ability to create new words and sound combinations to express experiences, feelings, and stories. The quality of a lyrical rhyme isn't always specific to what's happening at the end of the word either. You'll often see lyricists rhyming the medial syllable of one word with an end syllable or even another medial syllable of another word using stressed and unstressed syllable enunciation. Listen to some of your favorite songs and see if your top artists are doing interesting things with syllable divisions. I bet they are. This week, we're going to be working with Nikki Giovanni's text, um, Hip Hop Speaks to Children. And you yourself don't necessarily have to know or love hip hop to enjoy the book. While most new copies of the book do come with a CD with a compilation of some of the hip hop highlighted in the text, the lyrics or spoken word poetry are just as enjoyable to read. In her video introduction um, to Hip Hop Speaks to Children, uh, Nikki Giovanni gives a little preview of the Sugar Hill Gang's Hotel Motel Holiday Inn, stressing those iconic open syllables in Hotel Motel Holiday Inn because syllables matter to music. As you study the provided excerpts this week, enjoy the meaning of the lyrics and words, but also train yourself to pay close attention to the syllables in each line the syllable count in particular words, where you notice stressed and unstressed syllables, and whether they are combined in interesting or unusual ways, different from or similar to how we say those words in conversation. Also consider how syllable knowledge impacts the quality and memorability of poetry and songs. Using syllables as a tool to design memorable lines and stories is not new. Shakespeare was a gifted lyricist who often used iambic pentameter in his plays and poems. Iambic pentameter is concerned with a certain number of syllables in a line and the emphasis placed on those syllables. Did any of you ever watch the Danny DeVito movie Renaissance Man? It's a favorite in my family and there's this great scene where he's trying to help some learners discover how to read Shakespeare. There's one guy in the class who is a drummer, and so DeVito helps him come up with a beat in which they can all read Hamlet. Ba, 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 ba. 
this above all to thine own self be true. And they begin to catch on from there. Syllable and word part knowledge have a significant impact on young people's abilities to meet the rigors of the curriculum as they move through elementary school. Finding and using artistic, creative, and informed ways to deepen their word knowledge should be an urgent concern for all of us. I so look forward to seeing your creativity and inventiveness this week as we continue working on the connections between phonics and word part knowledge in children's literature and art, and also as we analyze a high school student's final project and consider how each, uh, how early explorations and inventive uses of language can lead to a strong interpretive style later in learning. See you all in Canvas. Mm -hmm.